John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 1096.ps7719 certificate number 37796 the saint helena submarine plot because the british think they are so tough they think we french are sissies they call us weeds and whoopsies and big girls blouses with respect my emperor we are whoopsies we invented the tapestry the souffle and the sweet liqueur we will be slaughtered the minute we mince up the hill. Do not despair. It is my firm belief that God hates the British. He will intervene miraculously and send us a glorious victory on this field of Waterloo. Oh, bravo! I was in France earlier this summer. Humble brag. Not even humble. Like, it's straight up a brag. That's just a full-on brag. I'm not like, I was digging wells and doing humanitarian aid in Paris this summer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, as I was telling the North African immigrants I work with on the outskirts of Paris, John. Right. Making uh, the world a better place for uh, Syrian refugees. Actually, I was just taking my kids to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. I'm, you, I'm, you were at the Louvre buying a souvenir hat. I'm the worst American dad. We're going to run in. We're going to see the Mona Lisa and we're going to run out. I don't want any danger of any of you seeing other art. You did the, the Clark Griswold tour. <laughs> uh, the Clark Griswold thing we always say is when we're driving around a roundabout and something goes horribly wrong and we have to drive by the same place twice, my wife will always say, look, kids, Big Ben in Parliament, which is a <laughs> classic line from National Lampoon's European Vacation when they can't get off a roundabout. One of the great films, National Lampoon's European Vacation. Right. Should we tell everybody we're starting a new po about our new podcast that we do that's just about <laughs> National Lampoon's European Vacation? <laughs> if it gets big enough, we might do a Vegas Vacation spinoff. I have to say that National Lampoon's Vacation, the original film, is a great film. And I think the subsequent films are less great. Do you know my friend... Uh, descending Order. My friend uh, Colin, whom you know... I know Colin. ...was the kind of the elementary school, middle school, like high school boyfriend pen pal of the daughter in the vacation movies. He was in the movie or he was no, literally in, like in, her... in real life. He, they were like, I don't Whoa. know, summer camp friends or something. How cool. That's pretty cool. Right. But then they replaced her with Juliette Lewis and Christmas vacation. And yeah, I have no idea what happened. That's what I mean. The standards started to fall. Off. I don't think being uh, her girlfriend would have transferred to the replacement family members, you know? Right. Like just, when they <laughs> Hi, we're pen pals now, Juliette Lewis. When they recast a role, you don't inherit the previous person's social <laughs> circle. Uh, when I was in Paris, I was thinking about the French relationship to Napoleon. 
as you are, can hardly help but do. Did you go to see the uh, Napoleon's tomb? Uh, we were, you know, we. I've been by what's it called, Les Invalides mm-hmm. or something. Every time I've been to Paris, I've been by. It. I've never been in to see whatever the mo- the mausoleum or the monument is. Yeah. Have you been in there? No, and I I regret it. I I feel like that's. That would be very on brand for me to go stand at Napoleon's tomb, and I haven't done it yet. I think you're on record on this show as saying you only want to enter Paris someday at the head of a column of tanks. Yeah, that was that was, that was always my goal, but then in the end, I just went to Paris like a normal person. Would you lead the tanks to Napoleon's tomb and be like, Napoleon, we are here. <laughs> Lay a wreath. <laughs> <laughs> or just blow it up, I guess. Desecrate it. You know, because if you, if you come up with the Anglophile's view of Napoleon, absorbing it from British novels and young person's novels and movies, you know, he's a, he's a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. He, he was bony. Mm-hmm. They called him bony, which I guess is the worst slam you could come up with in the early 19th century, short for Bonaparte, I guess. I don't know if I've told you this. I've definitely mentioned it on another podcast, but my, my mother is a person of Anglican stock. Um, a masterpiece theater viewer. She's a, she's tea a drinker. She's a long, long time, uh, old, uh, old ye olde English person. Middlemarch reader. Her, her people settled in Ohio in, in the era right around Ohio statehood. So very early on during actually settled in Ohio during the reign of Napoleon. During the Napoleonic Wars. And she still refers to Napoleon when he comes up in conversation, which he does in our house. Uh, She refers to him as Bonaparte (laughs) and she does it with a sneer. She says, well, Bonaparte and it's hilarious to me because it's something that's been transferred in her family, a contempt for Napoleon <laughs> as this gallist, like Republican. It's on the cross-stitch samplers above the, the fireplace. <laughs> it, you know? really, it really is. And, and it never fails to make me laugh because, you know, I, I was raised that way to think of Napoleon just as a, as a thug. In this house, science is real. Black lives matter. Napoleon is a trumped up little thug yeah. with his hand in his shirt. Yeah, he, it's part of our family values. Well, they would scare they would scare little children in England by saying, "Oh, if you're not good, Boney will come get you." You know, yeah. he really was a scary little guy. And a lot of our culture comes from the British. The French, of course, have a more conflicted idea of Napoleon because he took a broken country and restored it to glory, which is, I guess, the exact same thing you could think about Hitler. Right. And after World War II, it became less fashionable in France to say, hey, he took a broken France and he really stabilized it after the revolution. He introduced new laws and commerce. And and instead, because Napoleon does have a resume you can pick apart. Your mom's not wrong here. Well, you know, Napoleon is responsible not just for like a, like, I guess, what would you describe? A massive S- continent-wide war that killed seven hundred thousand people. I mean, you could you could I think make a very compelling argument that he's responsible for the unification of Germany. There wouldn't be a Germany for Hitler to have uh, taken over if it weren't for for Napoleon conquering the the German tribes. Is that in his favor or not? You can't hold Napoleon responsible for everything that happened to the Congress of Vienna because of him. I think actually you, there is a there's <laughs> Your mom an can. there's an entire historical school that would uh, that would say that all modern problems derive from Napoleon. The thing about Paris is there, uh, there's no Place Napoleon. There's no Rue Napoleon. You think, you know, he built the Arc de Triomphe. He built the whole city, you know, like he's, it's a high watermark for France in a lot of ways. Yeah, but the, he was also a, kind of a low watermark too. <laughs> right. You know, it's he, funny uh, talking about the British, uh, the, uh, how much the British rewrote the history of Napoleon for us, for our, from our perspective. We think of Napoleon as being very short, but in fact, he was five foot seven. Normal height. 
a normal height guy and, and five foot seven was a normal height at the time, but he was characterized, uh, in a form of propaganda as this short little rotund ineffectual man child. I think part of it may go back to a disagreement about feet and inches. They were not yet standardized yeah, between that's right. Britain and the continent. That's right. The French yardstick had him at something like one point five meters and the but converted to modern times it's one point seven meters. Some some right. some little thing like that. But in fact, I mean history regards him as small, but he was right. We, we yeah, we remember him as a little pitch taller point. than than Tom Cruise. Taller than President uh James Monroe. Yeah. Wait, or James Madison. Which one's the short one? Pretty much taller than every celebrity. All celebrities are tiny, right? I think so. Sylvester Stallone, small. James Madison, 5'4", shortest president. There he is, James Madison. How tall is James Monroe? Let's, since we're here. <laughs> How tall is he or was he? <laughs> James Monroe, six foot. He would have towered above even, even real Napoleon, not just fictional movie Time Bandits Napoleon. Are you six foot tall? Uh, I am f- not even 5'11". I'm just under 5'11". Oh. You wear it well. <laughs> I think I don't seem tall. You're well over six foot, right? Yeah. Six. Two. I do seem tall. Six, I'm six three. Six three. Uh, Although, as I get older, I'm sure to lose all that height as the weight of the world crushes me down into a pile of bones. People do get shorter and you get shorter during the day as well. Measure yourself in the morning. Uh, you know, the tissues expand at night when you're lying down. Mm. Once, once gravity starts working on you again and the ligaments start compressing and whatnot, you could lose an inch during the day. You could also, you could always sleep upside down like Michael Keaton in the first Batman. Measure yourself in the morning. That's a great lyric. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I meant height, not whatever <laughs> depraved thing you're thinking of. So what, so where do you stand on Napoleon? I mean, I, 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 I've never been to the tomb. I, I've never stood on Napoleon. <laughs> but, uh, but like, uh, as a, as an American, as a, as a Western person, did you, did your family have a feeling one way or the other about Napoleon? We never had a sampler about Napoleon. I mean, I understand your mom. If you know, if you calling him by his first name, it would be like calling Hitler Adolf. It's a little familiar if yeah. you think the guy is a villain. Um, mm-hmm. And he did, in addition to all the wars and you know being a very ambitious guy who was probably at his best in a military campaign. So that was not a great politician, right? Not, better, better general. Not a not a peacetime. Consigliere. <laughs> he's, he's Churchill, basically. Uh, and he reestablished slavery hmm. in France, which had been banned, but he thought it would be good for commerce to bring it back and apparently had no strong scruples either way. Sure, history doesn't read that very well. No, that's the kind of thing that people will really hold against you. Yeah. Like, you know, they're calling Andrew Jackson an Indian killer now, and I'm sure he killed people of all the races. He really did. He was <laughs> an equal opportunity murderer. He just loved murdering all <laughs> kinds of colors of people. <laughs> Uh, and, but this is another thing, you know, the British were, uh, the first Europeans to abolish slave, the slave trade, and they really wear that as a feather in their cap. Sure. And in fact, uh, St. Helena, where we will return later in the story was actually established as a British naval base to, uh, interdict the, stra- the slave, slave trade, trade yeah, hmm. to, uh, to find slavers at sea and shut them down. So today there's, I guess there's kind of a political divide on Napoleon as well. Like if I think if you go to the tomb, it'll be foreign tourists. It will not be school children learning about the glories of the Napoleonic era. Right. But you know, there's right-wing politicians like Dominique Villepin, a French former right-wing prime minister is a big Napoleon scholar who I think has published journal articles and people do collect Napoleona. Is that a thing? Napo- it is. Napoleonia? In fact, bon- in- Bona participles? I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> 
<laughs> They're Bonapartisans. That's right. Uh, the, in fact, uh, one of his iconic hats went on auction recently. Uh, oh, I saw that some Korean businessman. Is this yeah, the one? Yeah. Bought it uh, uh, at great expense. I was Millions a, of dollars, I think. I was astonished that you could own one of, you know, like a, like a verified Napoleon hat. Uh, and here it was, and it was in, and, and a glorious hat as a, you know, as a, a fan of hats. Do you think he wears it? Do you think he's a short Korean man who wears this big hat and feels like a, a, a tucks, general? Tucks his hand inside the, his waistcoat and marches around, goose steps around his, uh, his gigantic Samsung offices Gangnam or office. That's what I would do. So, you know, France doesn't know what to make of Napoleon today, but he's certainly a dashing romantic figure, you know, no matter who you are. And Absolutely. He's responsible for a great portion of the United States. I mean, it was Napoleon that sold us the Louisiana Territory. And when Napoleon was defeated for the final time at Waterloo, you know, as you'll recall, he's exiled to Elba. Mm-hmm. Less than a year later, he's back making trouble again. He's like the barefoot bandit. Mm-hmm. You know, you, can, <laughs> you can't stop him. You can only hope to restrain him. And uh, at, at this point, uh, when he's when he's finally defeated and taken at Waterloo after the hundred days, the British are not going to make the same mistake again of saying, okay, you can be the king of Elba. Um, They're going to put him someplace off the grid. And Napoleon thinks he's going to America where he has fans and he thinks he'll do very well. It's like Spinal Tap going to Japan. Oh, he would have been incredible in America. Can you imagine Napoleon in 1815 arriving in New York City? Wow, that's an alternate history fan um, novel I'd like to read. What would he be doing in your family? You know, riding a steamboat uh, from Mississippi, <laughs> yeah. ha- hanging out with a young Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine the instead of de Tocqueville writing about America, we right. had Napoleon himself? Undemocracy in America. <laughs> he would have gone west and tried to found some weirdo Aaron Burr kind of empire, right? For sure, he would have gone to New Orleans. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout so that's where he thought he was going and he was not happy to find that instead he was going to saint helena this one of the most isolated places on earth this tiny island in the South Atlantic. It really is hard to find and hard to imagine being there. I, I was looking at, uh, at real estate there not very long ago. Wait, what? I just, I, I don't know. You don't so, have to pretend. No, sometimes I really you have a connection to the story. I, sometimes I really, I really feel like what if I just gave it all up and, and went to. So a lot of people have that fantasy. Let me stop you right there. Right. A lot of people have this, but I think you're the only one who has ever said, Saint Helena. You know, there's it has a year-round population. Like there are Saint Helenans who live there 
all year. Do you know they call they call themselves saints. That's what the locals are called. Saints. They're, that's a little self-important. I well, think. you know, his uh, Napoleon's like yellow mansion is still there, still. Uh, in fact, I think it needs some repairs. Yeah, and Longwood House. It was built by the British East India Company as a, a farmhouse and later taken over when the plantations failed, taken over by the by the British Navy, I think, when it became a garrison. But St. Helena was off the beaten path then. And it's you know, it still is today. They did not build an airport until 2017. That's the very distant past for You're us. You're kidding. No, until as recently as 2017, you had to take the weekly mail ship. Which I don't. Which way would it come from? I think you're about two thousand miles from the African coast, from Angola or Namibia or something, but you're almost twice that from from Brazil. So I assume they come from Africa. Uh, well, there there might be like a a route that goes from the Falklands to, I mean, yeah, it's still a British colony. It's still the second oldest British colony after Bermuda. Right. So I'm sure I'm sure there's a a mail boat that that makes the rounds. It's still a very hard place to fly into because of wind shear. Pilots hate going in because, you know, the reason why it's hard to get to and not all that popular today is the same reason they wanted to put Napoleon there. It's it's impregnable, vast cliffs uh, on almost all sides, very hard to land there. I said it was a yellow house. It's actually a green house. Oh, it's green? It's green. Maybe Napoleon repainted. I think, I think it might have been yellow then. Even in Napoleon's day, Longwood House was apparently a drafty old barn. Right. It, it was cold and uncomfortable. There were rats. It was kind of falling apart and shabby. Uh, Napoleon didn't know this at the time, but apparently the wallpaper had arsenic in it. Oh. And uh, even though his death is usually uh, ascribed to cancer or some kind of ulcerous stomach problem, there's some revisionist historians today that think the wallpaper did him in just like Oscar Wilde. Well, I thought that there was a further revision that he was poisoned. I have also heard that theory as well. That they were dipping arsenic in old lace in his tea. Yeah, because Napoleon loved to have lace in his in his. Tea. <laughs> that was the style of the time. <laughs> I I'm skeptical of all these things where you know, some young buck decides that Zachary Taylor or Jefferson Davis or somebody was poisoned. That always seems a little too glamorous to be true. It seems more reasonable to you that Napoleon was licking his wallpaper. Yeah, probably. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know oh, he was, was the uh, style of the time. <laughs> he was putting up his sampler that said, "John's mom sucks," <laughs> and uh, he accidentally brushed the wallpaper. Uh, so Napoleon was not happy there no. and the world was still full of, uh, Bonapartisans, right. People who loved him. Um, South America in particular was uh, struggling to throw off the Spanish and Portuguese yokes. And Napoleon had been kind of the one world figure who had championed those revolutionary movements. So it's quite possible that one of the places he could have gone from San Helena was Mexico or Venezuela or something. And he could have founded a new fourth empire or whatever there. Well, yeah, that would have been good, except Simon Bolivar was already the Napoleon of South America. You think each continent can only have one Napoleon? I mean, if you... At any given time? It's like like the godfather of Seoul? Yeah, I think if if Napoleon had arrived in South America, he would have, there would have been a man there already with giant epaulets and a a funny hat that was already saving the people. Probably taller than him, you know. Hmm, That's interesting. Hadn't occurred to me how tall a, Simon Bolivar was. A, a, a tan, a sexy golden complexion. That's the thing. Less pasty. Yeah. And yeah. A, a nicer epaulets, probably. Um, the British were well aware that this was a risk. So they were not taking any chances this time. They were not going to have this guy come back again. Right. It's funny to think that they did it the first time. <laughs> I mean, you know, like it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of, of a, um, it's a, it's a goof. It's a hilarious uh, blooper. It's a little bit of a blooper. Like, 
he shouldn't have been made the the king of <laughs> of, of a, a small island not that far off the coast of France. Should we let this guy just hang out near Tuscany? Nah, what could go wrong? I mean, it's like if Hitler had been saved from the bunker and been given like some white collar prison. Yeah, and or he's had, playing tennis like, with like Bernie Madoff. Okay, you're you're the king of Corfu. <laughs> Uh, but don't come back. We're, we've decided to let you have this small part of Swabia or something. But weird that there wasn't within the time uh, any kind of, I mean, think of just prior to Napoleon's ascension the first time, they were guillotining everybody, including like Marie Antoinette. I mean, they guillotined the king of France. Why would they not have, why, why didn't they have the will or the interest to just execute him? I guess Napoleon was widely, even though, you know, he's clearly this little God Emperor dude. Oh, there you go. Not again. little. I mean, Normal he's sized God spiritually Emperor little. Mm. Uh, you know, he, he was seen as carrying forth the spirit of 1789. You know, he was going to be the legacy of the revolution that right. would um, lead France to greatness again, but with the new civil codes and enlightened views. Liberté. Of the, of the revolution. Egalité. Sure. He was like a, a cool new kind of emperor. Well, but still fraternité, which we would, we would X, X that off of the list nowadays. You, we're not into fraternité? Well, no, because it's patriarchal. Oh, I see what you're saying. Why does it, it have be, to be fraternity? It would be fraternité a sororité. Right, right. Why can't it be liberté, egalité, and... I thought you meant it was because I thought you meant it was because we have no actual fraternity anymore. Like we're all on our devices all the time. Oh well, that too. Technology. Wait a minute. Is the back of your? You just held up your cell phone. Is the back of it the the flag of France? Yeah, a lot of people don't notice because this is an audio only medium. But I always have a uh, an appropriate phone case (laughs) (laughs) for every episode. It's a Lego phone case that my kids gave me. Uh, but and it's the French flag. While we were in France this summer, I put the French flag on it because you oh, can put whatever. That's swell. But you can't really put real Legos because you can't put it into your pocket with all the little bumps. So you have to put these uh, weird tile ones with no bumps. Yeah. I hope the future can can picture. Lego just announced, by the way, they're switching to these new um, sustainable uh, sugarcane-based bricks. Oh, no. So hopefully there will still be Lego in the future. But that means that they'll just dissolve when they get wet, right? Oh, sure. Sugar cane breaks? You can no longer, they'll be like gremlins. You know, you do not get your Legos wet. Oh my God, sugar cane bricks. That's a great band name. I don't write that down too. I don't think they're going to be, I think they're going to be waterproof in some way. Sugar cane bricks. (laughs) Listen to sugar cane bricks, everybody. (laughs) The British were well aware that they were not going to give Napoleon a third chance. Right. So when they put him on St. Helena, um, that was a garrison of 2,800 men. British soldiers. British soldiers, all guarding him. 500 cannons, a full uh, squadron of the British Navy, Royal Navy, I guess, 11 ships. Um, and the two nearest islands, Tristan de Cunha and uh, maybe Ascension Island, they both had garrisons. So just in case he got off, there's a second line of defense out there in the South Atlantic, wow. 800 miles away. What a boring posting for all those sailors <laughs> and Marines. <laughs> Uh, they probably had USO shows. Because all he's doing is just walking around on the porch of his drafty mansion, stewing, right? There's nothing to see. Maybe it's a really good posting. Nothing but free time. Go see the cormorants or whatever the uh-huh. uh, whatever the natural marvels of, uh, of Santa Helena are. All the bananas you can eat. It turned out it was very rational for them to be worried. There's a story that when the British garrison got to, uh, I think, Ascension Island to set up base there, a little... Uh, a perimeter around Napoleon, they found written on the shore. And I'm imagining this, um, you know, maybe in palm fronds or 
children's footprints on the beach or whatever. <laughs> it says, um, may the emperor Napoleon live forever. Whoa. So he, some of his South American allies have apparently been there in advance uh-huh. and are sending a message. So everybody's terrified that Napoleon would escape. And apparently there were many, many plots to help Napoleon uh, escape. Not from him. He's just there writing his memoirs and hating his house. Licking his wallpaper. Licking the wallpaper. He's got a shawl wrapped around him. Like, can somebody turn up the heat? <laughs> he's, he's got bare feet in a, in a bucket of warm water, maybe. I imagine on uh, St. Helena or St. Helena. They, they say Helena. Helena. Does that bother you? St. Helena. It's a British colony, John. <laughs> Helena, uh, that there are, there's probably not a lot of firewood. Uh, my, my sense of it is that it is one of those windswept mid-Atlantic rocks that it doesn't have like, you can't just go out and, and cut a bunch of healthy logs to put on the fire. You probably have to import coal or something. I think you're not wrong. Yeah, the East India Company tried to make a go of it agriculturally, and they found out that the soil erosion was just terrible. And yeah, you're right. Stuff does not grow. So Napoleon was not happy there, but he was not planning his escape. But people around him, the world wanted Napoleon mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like what happens when, I don't know, what's some example in our time? Nixon. Everybody wanted, everybody wanted, everybody back. wanted Nixon back. They were like, when is this guy going to have another comeback? We well, love him so much. Just think about how many people want another Harrison Ford movie and they just, he just keeps denying us. Sure. Anytime a star retires, well, Gar- this is- Garbo or whether it's Garbo or Gene Hackman or whoever, like, why are they living in seclusion? This is part of the, the appeal for me of moving to St. Helena is that maybe there would be a world outcry demanding my return. <laughs> and people would develop cockamamie schemes. Well, to, they'd to come, yeah, from- they'd come uh, stamp out in the beach in their footprints. The world, the world awaits. The, the Long Winter's fourth album. Mm-hmm. Where is it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, uh, so the plans were concocted to rescue him by yacht, by steamboat, even by balloon. But you'd have to fight off all these British troops. Right. It would not be an easy heist. No. No. But that didn't stop people from trying. Uh, one of the oddest stories, which for many years was thought to be a lie, but apparently may have some basis in truth, concerns a man named Tom Johnson, who is sometimes called Thomas Johnston in the historical record. Tom Johnson. Come on. That's hilarious. I don't know what's funny about Tom Johnson. It seems like a fake name. It's a made up guy. Tom Johnson. I guess apparently Tom Johnson is the birth name. Thomas Johnston is some attempt to make himself sound cooler. Right. Put a T in it. Sure. As they say. It's a little less. It'd be like if your name is Smith, but you go by Smythe Smythe or something as an affectation. Smith. Uh, He in... uh, Uh, He, there's a record of him. He's a smuggler, a British privateer, um, from Lymington, a part of England that apparently only develops privateers. He was the son Uh, of some kind of... And Lyme's disease. (laughs) No, not Lyme's disease. Not Lyme's either. Although the Royal Navy did have Lyme's because of the scurvy. Sure, of course. That's that's, why they're called Lymies. That's to this day. That's why we, we actually do not call British people Lymies to this day. I don't know why I said to this day. No, we stopped doing that. I think in the immediate aftermath of the war. It does seem like uh, something a weird old person might do. Oh, limies. you limies. It's Kevin Klein in A Fish Called Wanda, actually. You limies, so superior. I'm sure my mom probably would think of them as limies. Because no, but she's, she would love them. she's still fighting the War of 1812. But she would be affectionate toward them. Yeah. Uh, the War of 1812 actually comes into our story here because in 1812, the U.S. and uh, Great Britain are once again at war. 
And both sides but are... But it's a, it's, it's a minor skirmish compared to the war between Britain and France. Sure. And both sides are investigating the possibilities of submarine warfare. Yeah. Submarine had not been invented yet, really. Um, there were attempts during the American Revolution. They made a little submersible thing called the turtle, which they hoped they could use to stick mines to the hulls of British ships in New York Harbor. Um, but it never actually worked out that Did, well. Didn't Leonardo da Vinci in, invent the submarine? Well, people are always drawing. I mean, I could draw a circle <laughs> under waves and be like, hey, I invented the submarine. But there's a lot of problems. Like how, sure. does, how does propulsion work? Sure. How, how do does, you get air down how, there? How do you get air down there? How does ballast work? Um, it's a tricky problem, which had not been solved. Uh, one person who was very interested in this problem was Robert Fulton, mm-hmm. best known in America as the inventor of the first commercial steamboat, mm-hmm. um, sometimes inaccurately called the Claremont, uh, in the, I think the 1810s. But before that, his main thing was submarines. He went to France and he wanted to, uh, this is actually, I think pre-Napoleon. Eh, maybe it's probably, it's the early days of Napoleon. It's the very early 19th century. He tries to convince the French government that he should build a submarine. And he's, he's on his own. He's tinkering with a 25 foot submarine. He calls the Nautilus. Oh, you know, to this day, it's sure. a proud submarine name. Sure. U.S. first nuclear submarine, right? Mm-hmm. Went under the North Pole, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's because, of course, the Nautilus is a chambered seashell that um, lives under the ocean but has air pockets in it. So if you're a natural history guy, the metaphor is obvious. That's why airplanes are named after birds. So obvious Same that thing. you didn't even need to explain it. But I'm sure that some futurelings are, are emerging only now from their shells, their chambered shells, and thinking, wow. Representation. I, that's right. Representation <laughs> matters. Finally, a submarine named for me. I feel seen. <laughs> it was 25 feet long. Uh, he, I think, agreed. Uh, uh, he finally got Napoleon interested in this very primitive submarine, which, again, was used to just scatter mines and harbors and make trouble in general. Uh, it had a sail. It had a sail like a Chinese junk. So he's pitching this to Napoleon as a component of warfare that might be used against the British. Yes, this yeah. is this is before the exile. Uh, and Napoleon actually takes a look at this thing and finds out that it leaks. Sure. He's not interested. Of course it leaks. Um, so Fulton decamps and goes to Britain and tells them, hey, I'm working on a submarine. And mm. there I think they are willing to give him, you know, the Navy's willing to give him a grant to, you know, try this for us instead of for... The French. This is why the British Navy was so successful, because they were ready to experiment with disruptive technology. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. Disruption, Ken, that's the secret. Disrupt boats. This is going to be like Uber, but for submarines. Exactly. And it has a Chinese junk sail when it's uh, up above the water. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash 
start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So uh, there's evidence that our friend, the smuggler Tom Johnson, met Robert Fulton in Dover, where apparently they talked about uh, submarine technology. And in an 1835 book called Scenes and Stories of a Clergyman in Debt, the author, some anonymous clergyman, says he met Johnson in prison. Uh, Thomas Johnson escaped from prison at least three times in his life, a regular Napoleon. Mm -hmm. And he told his cellmate that he had been approached to bust Napoleon off of St. Helena in a submarine and had developed an elaborate plan to do so. Huh. Here's the plan, as Johnson conceived it. There were going to be two submarines, the Eagle and the Etna. The Eagle is 84 feet long. The Etna is small. It's about half that length. Um, they're equipped with 20 torpedoes. If anything goes wrong, they can make trouble for any ship that tries to get in their way. But this is the old-fashioned uh, idea of a torpedo, which is uh, more akin to a mine. Yes. You, you can't shoot it at anything. Right. Uh, it's going to have a huge crew. There's going to be more than 30, between 30 and 35 men on these two submarines. And that's important because they need to row. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is going to be an oar-powered submarine. Now, not, surely not a row all the way from England to St. Helena. That's the question. His plot glosses over the problem of how we get to the exact other side of the world. <laughs> how are we going to get these two submarines to the South Atlantic? But once we're there, we're going to row ashore in the little one, the Etna, which is going to have cork fenders. It's going to have essentially, it's going to be a bumper car. Mm-hmm. So it can, you know, bump up against the cliffs and, and still have the men inside be protected. He has this elaborate plan where uh, he's going to sneak ashore with a footman's uniform, a bosun's chair, and 2,500 feet of whale line. Oh, this can't fail. He's MacGyver, basically. I mean, who would suspect a footman in a bosun's chair. A bosun's chair, as I'm sure you know, but let me explain to the not a lie. It's just a plank, essentially. It's like, a, it's like a rock climber's harness that you would sit in and get hauled up into the rigging to work on, on the mast or the sails or whatever. Yeah, it's an old-fashioned window washer's That's almost bench. exactly what it looks like. It's a window washer's bench, and it's got a counterweight on the other side. So he's going to sneak ashore from the Etna to, with this little mechanical chair and 2,500 feet of whale line, I guess very sturdy fishing line, the kind you'd put on a harpoon. Right. He's going to sneak over to Longwood House, tell Napoleon of this plan. And Napoleon has no idea, by the way. Psst, psst. We're busting you out. I guess he's not French. He's, he's a smuggler. He's a British right. smuggler. Oi, we're busting you out. So, I, my ship can do the Kessel Run in 24 parsecs. <laughs> With my cork bumpers on it. So he dresses up Napoleon as a footman. Um, Napoleon has quite a bit of autonomy. There's, you know, um, what did I say? 2,800 men on the island. Right. But, he, you know, he, he has accorded a certain amount of respect. He can wander around at will. Yeah, he can wander around a bit. But so, so these guys have a tailored footman's uniform in the, that, that will fit Napoleon. Yes, a tiny little uniform for his, for his short stature. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to dress him as a footman and I guess take a carriage somehow under the cloak of night to the cliffs. Boy, uh, this is an involved plot. They're going to affix their whale line to the top of the cliff with some kind of metal uh, fixture, grommet, I don't know, whatever sure, you call have. call it a pulley. They're going to go to Home Depot and uh, attach it, put the bosun's chair on one end of the rope and put a counterweight on the other end, a boulder of approximately Napoleon's 
small, small ways. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the chair they have has a, 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 it's got like a running board, like an old jalopy. So Napoleon can sit and someone else can stand on the side. I love that the, that the most thought out part of this whole plot is the chair. Maybe it's just that uh, I was more interested in the chair <laughs> than the submarine. Because there are plans for Tell the submarine. Tell me sub more about the chair. There are certainly plans for the submarine. But Napoleon sits in the chair. Somebody else hops on the back of the chair. It's kind of like a, a, you know, like one of those uh, strollers for two kids where the toddler can stand behind the newborn oh, or whatever. Sure. Sure. You're going to get hop-ons, basically. And they're going to lower it down the cliff, uh, put Napoleon in the submarine, and uh, they'll be on their way. And what, just leave the bosun's chair? That's the star <laughs> of this whole story. I want to know what happens to the chair. Yeah, do they have to cover their tracks so that the British wake up in the morning? They're like, there's no... How, how did he escape? <laughs> there's not a single footprint. Wait, we're missing two footmen. Wait, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, it seems like... Uh, like a scene from Pirates of Penzance. Right. Yeah. Or a Pirates of the Caribbean movie or something. Uh -huh. Or a Pirates of Caribbean ride. It's, it's something from the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. Yeah. The dog has the ring of keys. So then he went to the Etna and then did the Etna sail back out to the. Yeah. The Etna would get from the Etna. They'd take uh, his uh, excellency to the uh, Eagle. The Eagle. And then they would sail Napoleon away to whatever powerful French military forces had engineered his escape to bring greatness back to the Republic. Right. But okay. Sure. But in fact, in France, he's also persona non grata. He would need to go find an army elsewhere. He couldn't just, there's not like a, a French army in abstentia that he could command. Is there? I mean, one of the great things about his initial return was he landed in France and marched to Paris, uh, collecting soldiers to his side as he went, that that would be harder to do coming from St. Helena, picking up every like castaway along the way. There were apparently some elements of the French military some who revanchists. were who were exactly who were still loyal to Napoleon, and they would have been delighted to sure. have him back. There's a French general named um, Montalon who actually provides some uh, backing for this story and says, yeah, a group of officers were willing to fund this, that we spent 9,000 pounds. Oh, that's no small this. amount. No, it's, that's seven figures today uh, on busting Napoleon out. And there is some evidence that uh, Johnson actually had a submarine, that the submarine was not just vaporware. A writer for the Smithsonian in 2013, looking through the National Archives, was able to find a letter from Johnson telling the British Navy, hey, um, this is during the War of 1812 when the British are looking into submarine warfare. Hey, that submarine we were talking about, it's all ready to go. Where's my 100,000 pounds? And there's, you can see the other side of the conversation where someone agrees to pay him. It's actually a Sir Cockburn, a British naval officer, a high-ranking officer who I think is responsible for the burning of the White House oh. in 1812. Sure. So he's got a good that hero. <laughs> well, we wouldn't mind today, <laughs> but at the time, Dolly Madison was not a fan. I'm sure my mother also refers to him in a disparaging tone. Right. Cockburn. His name's Cockburn. It, yeah. it lends itself to a disparaging tone. You know, my, my mother's people were Anglophiles, but they were Americans first and foremost. We didn't side with the British in the War of 1812, I'll have you know. That's where she drew the line? Absolutely. At the War of, you know, they're great. 
I love their murder mysteries, but when they light the White House on fire. That's it. We're finished. We're through. One step too far. Uh, and so there's evidence of Cockburn offering not the 100,000 pounds that Johnson wanted, but 4,735 pounds for delivery of the submarine. Still, that's no small number of pounds. So it's quite possible that this smuggler actually did have a submarine yeah. and wealthy French benefactors who wanted him to somehow get to the South Atlantic and bust out Napoleon in this crazy Ocean's Eleven heist. It never actually happened. Napoleon, as we've already said, died of stomach ulcers or wallpaper licking or what did you say? Poisoned by his gardener? Yeah. Poisoned by his footman. By his, but the real footman, not just the yeah. guy in the uniform. Right. The actual footman. So the plot did not work, but uh, it would have been a daring submarine escape. It's a very, it's very HG Wells, right? I mean, there's, there's, <laughs> right. there's so much about technology in particular, like mechanical technology where you feel all these wonderful inventions, it's it's conceivable uh, that if a Connecticut Yankee returned to King Arthur's court, he could have used the the technology at hand to build uh, these these marvelous devices. And it's always kind of a disappointment to have to accept that the march of technology kind of happened as it happened, and there wasn't ever there were very few instances where some scientist made a dramatic leap in mechanical invention. And then that was lost to time. In it's fact, it's very sad for the steampunk people. Very sad for steampunk who want to imagine all these elaborate zeppelins and yeah. rock, rockets. And they think back to a time when everyone surely was wearing leather trench coats with brass fittings. And it turns out, no, no one was, no one was nothing cool had all the rivets and goggles. That no, they secretly hoped there for. were no there were no dirigibles capable of hoisting like wood and paper submarines to Saint Helena. This is as close as it came. The steampunk people should uh, you know their patron saint should be Tom Johnson. You know he wanted to be this Captain Nemo type guy. Think how surprised Napoleon would have been. You know this is the steampunkiest movie pitch I've ever heard. And think about it now, who would play Napoleon? And that concludes the St. Helena or Helen, Helena, Helena, the St. Helena submarine plot. Entry 1096.PS7719, certificate number 37796 in the omnibus. We did 100 takes of that and that was the best one. <laughs> Listeners, in the unlikely event social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all archived at Omnibus Project. Now, from your nautili, deep under the future ocean of boiling sulfur, you probably also have quit Facebook and Twitter. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were on it for a while in the ocean of sulfur. Yeah, yeah. And then they were like, wait a second. Why is Alex Jones still on this? I am done. I am finally done. I quit. At Jack, I am done on Twitter. Uh, but Instagram still seems to, to soldier along until people start screen capping their Twitter posts and posting it on Instagram. I don't understand why people do that. God, stop polluting the one last place 
where people are slightly nice to each other. Plus, you're quoting yourself. It's like being it's like being a, with a friend and being like, as I commented at dinner the other night. <laughs> Come on, man. Maybe you didn't see it on my Twitter feed. <laughs> I, but I, I said something rather droll <laughs> the other week. Uh, you can go look at my Instagram account where I take pictures of food and dogs and kids, none of which are mine. No. Other people's food, other people's dogs, other people's kids. Uh, my Instagram account is at John Roderick. At Ken Jennings has an Instagram account that he refuses to populate with photographs. He just uses it as an excuse to lurk around. I don't think it's even at Ken Jennings. Spy on my dog and kid and food pictures. I'm worried that you're not going to let the dogs and kids go when you're done with the pictures. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm there as a United Nations observer. Yeah, well, they have to live for a little while in my sulfur ocean. <laughs> uh, but the two most fun things are our Facebook group, um, which is in no way an endorsement of Facebook, but we have a Facebook group called the Futurelings, and they are smart and fun and, and cool. And they make trading cards about uh, right. they the have, entries in the omnibus. They have trading cards. They have a bingo game. They talk about the episodes. They talk about, They have sidebar conversations about other interesting things. Nothing romantic, though. We should... No. No, no, no. It's Chase entirely chaste. Entirely chaste organization. Platonic Facebook group. Uh, and you can also email us directly... And by directly, I mean through uh, seven or eight different intermediaries at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. We have a snail mail address too, which uh, would you like me to read it? Go on. I'd like to, I, I do like to receive actual tangible things. John wants peoples. you to send a steampunk suit with rivets and goggles. An extra large all leather trench coat. And uh, top hat, matching top. It has a monocle with some kind of binocular vision. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have one of those in John's size, he just said he's six foot three. Wait, a, monoc- a monocle with a binocular vision? How would that even, I'm trying to figure how you would have a binocular monocle? Yeah, I don't know. What would you even call that if you had a monocle that covered, that had circles of glass over both your eyes? Hmm. I don't even know what That's that would a, be. What a What a novel idea. You could send all that to John to Omnibus Project at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. 0-2-1-3-4. I can never not do that. I don't know why. I don't think Zoom maintains that box anymore. Certainly not for distant future listeners. Speaking of you, distant future listeners, uh, we speak to you from a point in your distant past. And of course, unlike you, we have no idea how long our civilization is going to survive. We're like Napoleon sitting here wondering That's right. when is somebody's going to come bust us is out. Is submarine going to bust us out of this hell? Or is the wallpaper going <laughs> to kill us off beforehand? We hope and pray that this catastrophe may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this very recording, like every recording in this series, may be our final word to you. Please close up the capsule and return it to where you found it. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.